Hello everyone and welcome back to the Feminist Babysitter. I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick, and as ever I am joined by the increasingly becoming my professor, life guru, and of course, babysitter, the wonderful Dr. Carol Quigley. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I love just before we start recording, you say, this is my favourite podcast to do. It's like going to college every week. <laughs> Literally, it, it, it absolutely is. Like, um, I suppose to be oddly serious for a second, it's something that out of such a a dark, I suppose, inspiration maybe is, mm. I think that's the right word, um, that this has become a wonderful source of education. And, um, you know, without it being... We, we've commented week on week that that while we do discuss a lot of very, very serious topics on this podcast, um, it's more enlightening, I feel, than, any, than anything else. Uh, and thank you very much for that. Well, thank you. No, it's, I, I just enjoy it's, you know, it's me getting to give out about things. Even on good topics, I still find a way to give out about something. <laughs> it's true. And, that, yeah, and each week I get to sit there and take notes. Um, like, I'm, I'm not joking. Like, I have... As well, I know you know this, but I have like, you know, A4 pads full of just, and I have my little notepad this week as well of, you know, what have I learned this week? Um, which I'm really quite happy about. Um, but and how are you today? I am very well. I'm very well. I'm actually very good because very unusual for me. I had a lot of sleep last night. Um, so yeah, I know, right? I was in the bed at 8 p.m. Oh, wow. Now, the trade-off was that I woke up at 4.30 we're quite rested. Well, that's good. That's something. Yeah. It was quite, quite pleasant, actually. So, yes, I uh, got to watch the sunrise. Now, w- one I watched the sunrise, the other I was watching TikTok. But then, okay. yes, yeah. But uh, I, I, I feel I've made the right decisions. Good. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I am well. Thank you very much. I am well. Uh, I have watched no movies over the last week, so I don't have mm-hmm. anything new to add to the results of this week's topic. Um, mm-hmm. And which is really interesting. So, yeah. So we're discussing the Bechtel Wallace test this week. We are, or the which... Mo movie test, or yeah. There's loads of names. Most people know it as the Bechdel test, but as we shall discuss, Bechdel, Alison Bechdel herself prefers um, prefers it to be known as the as the Bechtel Wallace test because a friend of hers actually gave her the inspiration to do it. So, but in true in true anti feminist fashion, we ignore what the original woman said and just call it the Bechdel test. It's, it's actually ridiculous. Like, I think the fact that this, of all things, has suffered erasure of, mm-hmm. you know, a woman's name. It's just like, like, did they know what they were doing when they were erasing her name? I mean, it's, it's quite meta, really. Kind of, yeah. It's like, yeah. The, the, the test itself being an example of the test, I baffling because God but, forbid we have two women's names. <laughs> well, I mean, if we did have two women's names, at least we might meet the first criteria. That's um, true. Depending on the interpretation. Depending, yeah. So, okay, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of notes. I have a lot of pros, and I have a hell of a lot of cons. Cool. I have my not- coffee. I have my <laughs> pen and paper. Um, <laughs> the floor is yours. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I've I've a lot of problems with the way the Bechdel test is applied. But okay, first and foremost, right. So, history time, 1985, American cartoonist Alison Bechdel had a comic strip um, that she entitled "The Rule." The specific comic strip was called that. Um, it comes from a comic called "Dykes to Watch Out For," um, and essentially, she. It's a comic strip about two women at the cinema together. And one of the women says to the other, um, I have a rule whereby I don't go and see films that unless they have two women who speak to each other about something other than a man. And so that went out in the comic in 1985. Um, It became known as the Bechdel test. There have been some variations of it in recent years whereby they now say, you know, the two women must be named Mm. or they must speak for at least 60 seconds or something like that. Um, But essentially it was meant as a kind of a, and and Bechdel herself describes it as um, a a kind of a joke, a, a little, she says, a little lesbian joke in an alternative feminist newspaper. Um, and it, it was 
basically actually focusing on the alienation of queer women in film and entertainment. And it was commenting on the kind of expected heteronormativity um, in all films. So that's actually where it came from. She didn't mean it to be this new standard or anything like that. It was actually a, a joke or just a reflection on something. Um, and basically what happened was that it was kind of floating around a bit after that, but in kind of the 2010s-ish, um, it really came into mainstream discourse, really pushed by the fact that in Sweden, in 2013, they made the decision to have um, the whether or not a film passes the Bechdel test to added to their rating system. So, you know, we have like 12s, 15s, 18s, or rated this for content or violence, whatever it is. Um, they added whether or not a film passed the Bechdel test. Now, this was heralded as a major feminist moment. Can we just stop the messing? The Bechdel test is not an indicator of a film's feminist intentions. It's not an indicator of how good a film is. It's not an indication of how women are treated in film because under those very, very, very basic criteria, the music video for Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back passes the Bechdel test. Because at the very beginning of the music video, one white woman says to another, um, you know, oh, Becky, look at her butt. So technically that passes. So can we just, from this moment, from the very beginning, separate the Bechdel test and its application from feminism? Because it's reductive, it's ridiculous, um, it's absolutely unrelated, and I'm sick of seeing it, and I'm not here for it. It's That's something that, as I was going through the notes for this, um, it's it's like we're taking the lowest bar possible which is two female characters right so just like let's just include two female characters great cool that's stunning um doesn't give you any indication like do they need to be lead characters do they need to have anything to do with storyline can they be like it, it's it's hilarious that you're using the example of sir mix a lot because it actually fits like it actually fits yeah. this test but who would ever say that Sir Makes a Lot's Baby Got Back is the pinnacle of feminist representation uh, in exactly. the 90s? Could be the 80s. Let's uh, go with that. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, before today. Um, it's, it, but then you can hide behind that. Oh, I've passed the mental mm -hmm. test. Oh, that's, that's okay. a, great. You know, he's, I've ticked off the boxes here and everything. Um, like an awful lot of, I think the MCU would fail the Bechdel test straight away. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, so in terms of numbers, roughly half of films pass it. OK, roughly. Mm. I mean, now, it's so, so, so important to note that the Bechdel test is quantitative, not qualitative. OK, so it is a handy way, particularly because they're yes, no answers, as opposed to other tests that have since been developed. Love a yes, no answer. It's very obvious. It's very quick. Um, it, it, it is a measure of systemic problems because the thing is, there is absolutely nothing wrong. Some of my favorite ever films don't pass this. So for example, I watch Gladiator at least once a year. I cry every time. I think it's a stunning film. I absolutely love it. It doesn't pass. That has nothing to do with the quality of the film. And also there is nothing inherently individualistically wrong with a film not having this what's wrong and this is why it's um, quantitative is that it shows the overall pattern whereby we tend to tell less female stories or female oriented stories that's what the actual issue is okay so having your two women speak for five seconds doesn't mean anything but what we're on an individual level but if we look at Hollywood as a whole we see okay this is why it's a problem because it's not a given you know what I mean or 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 so few few films do this and people talk about the reverse Bechdel test in terms of you know kind of men speaking and like there is no need to test because nearly every single film passes you know what I mean mm. so if you think of it as a quantitative measure in order to recognize 
how big of a systemic problem we have, cool. If you're trying to use it as qualitative, no, that's not what it is. It's not what it's for. It's not what Alison Bechdel, you know, wanted it to be about. Um, it's not what her friend Liz Wallace, who took the inspiration from Virginia Woolf's A Room of One's Own, thought it was about. It's about an overall picture of us not telling women's stories. You know, because again, another one of my absolute favorites, again, this has to be a once a year thing, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Don't Pass. Now, I, I'm not suggesting that the Lord of the Rings is, is the pinnacle of feminism or anything, but I mean, there are some incredibly strong female characters, Galadriel, okay? Mm -hmm. um, uh, Eowyn, you know, it, it, the, you know, I am no man. Like that is a beautiful moment. That's a strong moment. That woman has a an important story arc. Literally the plot couldn't be the way the plot is without her killing um, the head honcho, right? It, 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 it wouldn't work without her. So that has beautiful feminist moments within it. It is beautiful female empowerment moments within it, but yet it doesn't pass this quantitative test. Hmm. Um, so just bear in mind on, the whole time. Yeah. Just what, it, just what it's in my head. On The Lord of the Rings, the character of Eowyn, I think is a great example of, or even maybe a great discussion point for how feminism is handled, particularly in the Lord of the Rings, because as you say, quite rightly, she, uh, you know, she kills the Witch King. It's all about the fact I am no man. Brilliant. She is then immediately paired off with mm. um, uh, Faramir because yeah. Aragorn doesn't want her. Yeah. And that is just like, it, it never really, so, well, and I get that it's high fantasy and I get that, you know, kind of everyone speaks in, you know, kind of slightly grander statements than, you know, the, mm -hmm. how are you getting on? Did you go to the shops today? It's like, no, what's I will. Crack? What's the crack? Yeah. No, I will always appreciate it. Um, and I thought it was such a, you know, kind of, oh, OK, that wasn't exactly the most interesting ending for that character. Mm -hmm. Um and which again sorry is an example of because a lot of the times you'll hear oh yes but Eowyn is a fantastic example of a character in the Lord of the Rings who's you know it's like and yes to a point mm -hmm. oh absolutely yeah. um, absolutely now it'll be I'm interesting also, now to see oh yeah sorry I'm also conscious that Lord of the Rings were based on a book written a long time ago by a man who you know what I mean there's no women at all in the heart do you know what I mean? Like yeah. we have fantasy characters, um, you know, we've dwarves, we've elves, we've orcs, we've all the rest of it, um, and we don't have any women. We also have now my, this is very silly, but this is my nerd hats on here. One of my biggest problems with the with um, the Hobbit films is that all of a sudden normal orcs can go out in daylight, and that bothers me. <laughs> Because the whole point of the Orakai, sorry, I'm totally getting off track here, but the whole point of the Orakai is that, oh no, the orcs can come out in, in the daylight. So 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 I take issue with that. Ah, uh, but you see money. Fair. Yeah, yeah, there, there we go. So I think that's... Speaking, speaking of money, films that pass the Bechdel test tend to make more money. Yes, they do. Um, I have a number here. Um, I'm trying to find the of year. The billions. It, it is in the billions. You're right. Um. Mm. Films from 2013 passed the test earned a total of 4.22 billion in the United States versus those that failed that earned 2.66. So, I mean, like, as we all know that the only way to convince Hollywood to do anything is look at my graph of numbers. And if my numbers are high enough, the answer will be mm -hmm. yes. And if my numbers mm -hmm. are low enough, the answer will be no. The answer mm -hmm. should be yes to everything to ensure that, you now as we said, the Bechdel test is not the end it should be possibly the beginning of how you look at a script mm -hmm. um oh i've just I've, it, it is depressing when you think like someone's literally gone passes the bechdel test great okay so let's talk about the dudes yeah and you can also have excellent films and i know the most obvious example from recent years actually excellent female driven films such as gravity fail and the reason it fails is because there's only two named characters and as they I can't remember who was it said it in their Oscar speech a number of years ago, whenever the film came out, saying George Clooney would rather fade off into space and die alone without oxygen than spend more time with a woman of his own age. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Actually, yeah, I, I think I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but, you know, that fails. And yet, how could that story be more female driven? Do you know what I mean? So it's think of it as quantitative. It's a it's a handy way of just looking at what's out there, looking at the trends. There is absolutely nothing wrong with having a historical film or even a contemporary film that's set in a prison, a men's prison or, you know, in a male specific area that doesn't pass it. That's no problem. The problem comes when that's systemic and we don't have the reverse. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We don't have female driven narratives that maybe wouldn't pass the reverse Bechdel test because actually it's about women empowering women or women working together or whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? That's my issue. Um, And then we also need to take it and apply it in terms of um, racism, homophobia. And because as, as I said, Beckdale's original idea was commenting on the lack of representation of queer women. And we know we write queer women in particular out of history, out of narratives. We ignore them. And I find it so ironic that that was her point. And yet it got taken as this feminist idea. And it's not. It's, it's you know, it's, it's very, very different to that. Um, and actually in doing that and misrepresenting it in such a way, you're part of the problem. Frankly, yes. <laughs> I mean, like, I, w- I was just a couple of weeks ago, I was uh, scrolling through TikTok, as I wanted to do, and there was a creator who I hadn't seen the Batman at this point, but they were reviewing it as, you know, does it pass the Bechdel test? And they were like, well, no, it doesn't. But Selena Kyle is written as a slightly stronger character than she has been. It's like, I think their comment was how because we've seen so many versions of the same character across different mediums that little in improvements are being made as as time goes on and i think it was a point better made than i'm making it now which was we've seen selena like back in the 60s we had eartha case we had judy newmar um you know she was comic strip fine then you had michelle pfeiffer's take on catwoman uh again all about all about their relationship with either Batman or the villain of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. We do not speak of Halle Berry's interpretation of Catwoman. Um, there is a film I recommend people avoid at all costs. And of course, there's different versions. This version, I thought, was stronger. Um, and I think hopefully is a sign that cinema is a little bit more aware of you just can't have cardboard cutout female yeah. characters anymore and say oh but there's women in it yeah Um, but but even for me the batman oh just stunning just absolutely stunning i i adored it right and as the big angry feminist what i wanted from the batman which is what i got is pattinson who i think is just stunning in the role right mm -hmm. i got i actually got an explanation or an exploration of masculinities discovering oneself um pressures of public masculinity like it's really interesting for me that we see so little of him as bruce wayne he's he's generally batman because at this point because it's obviously set in year two and all of this um at this point he hasn't developed the bruce wayne public persona in order to put on that front so that you know there's more separation that kind of thing so for me what i wanted from that film was this deep exploration of what it is for him to be Batman or to grow into be Batman and and all of that. And I got that. And everything I see doesn't have to have this overt feminist messaging. What I just want is more balance overall. So I I, I don't actually care that it doesn't pass the Bechdel test because for me, it's about a crisis of masculinity, an exploration of masculinity. Um, it's about white privilege. It's about male privilege. It's about understanding your place in the world. It's about imposter syndrome. And I get that. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm not sitting here going, oh, yeah, but you don't have two women talking to each other. I couldn't give a shit. Th- that's not what I'm watching it for. Do you know what I mean? And I say that as a being angry feminist. Now, if Wonder Woman had done that, it, it would have been a problem. And, and for me, the first Wonder Woman movie was stunning and I still cry every time because for me, I went to that going, this is where I want to see the representation. This is where I want to see the exploration of femininity, of, of, of the female form, of, of female expression, of female empowerment. That's what I want to see there and that's what I got, you know? Mm. So I, I, 
I, I look at different things for different reasons. Again, as I said, Gladiator, I absolutely adore the film. Um, and for me now, I am not keen on the fridging and I'll, I'll, I'll get to fridging um, in a few minutes. I'm not, I'm not keen on the fridging of that, that fridging is, 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 is it, it, yeah, I, I have issues with that. But um, his exploration of character, of growth, of strength, of power, of what it means to be a man, of all of this, you know, versus the, um, what's his name? Commodus. No, but oh. what's, what's the actor's name? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. I always, I, I do this thing. Now it's really funny because I tend to only do it with white male actors, but I do this thing where I just confuse them. I was like, that's Jake Gyllenhaal, isn't it? I do the same thing with, um, and you're going to think this is ridiculous. I do it with Owen Wilson, Bradley Cooper, um, All Right, All Right, All Right. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, and another one as well. Woody Harrelson, I think. Do you know what I mean? I just do this. I just randomly, I'm like, who is that? Um, what's interesting is that I can tell the Chris is apart. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, Walking Phoenix. You know, I love this exploration of toxic masculinity versus actual strength and inner strength, and love it. So it's cool for me that it that it doesn't pass. You know what I mean? Like I'm mm. I'm all I'm all good with that. So the film doesn't have to do that. Um, so yeah, I, I the the Bechdel test for me is is very it's in and of itself it's not problematic but it's problematic when you apply it in a qualitative way and you state well this shows progress because the other thing that it does is that it really binarizes um male and female roles because you're saying okay so um what's a woman's worth in this role or you know what is it for because it only specifies is talking about a man like what if she's talking about her brother or you mm. know it's not a romance I know that it's saying that in order to get away from heteronormative relationships but like what if she's talking about her brother or you know she's the captain in the army and she's talking about her soldier or something do you know what I mean or her son or something like that like there's a load of variations where actually you're just it's just too reductive when it's applied in this way mm. I agree um, because it it very much it skirts the problem of tokenism mm. you know exactly uh, yeah and if if some if a character if any character across any medium is there simply you know to tick a box or for grace well we've, we've done that then um that will always harm the story overall because mm. you need to have a for any character and i say this as a <laughs> as a writer but anyway as a writer i say this that all of your characters need to have a reason to be there yeah. and if the reason is pass the Bechdel test or you know represent any minority majority anything then your story needs to have a reason for that to exist because otherwise it, your story will probably be forgettable you know um mm -hmm. and it will be used as an example of, ah, well, look at what tokenism does here. You have a room full of characters who all have identifiers and absolutely no personality. Yeah. Um, and that brings me into what I call um, the sexy lamp trope. Oh, yes. I, I, sorry, you've said this description before. I love this description. But but please, yes, talk to me about this, this the sexy, sexy lamp. lamp. The sexy lamp trope. So I love working out how many female characters could be replaced by a particularly sexy looking lamp and i mean lamp as in inanimate object and it would make no difference to the story or to the character arcs or to the plot or anything how many women can we just get rid of and put in really really attractive looking lamps and we get the same we, we get the same message that we get out of it so basically i'm commenting on the fact that how often do we have female characters there solely for um sexual excitement or you know like for aesthetic beauty um and and why don't we just put in aesthetically pleasing lamps instead a lot of Game of Thrones would fail the test immediately. Mm. Mm. Um, some characters, not so much, but yeah, a lot of Game of Thrones would fail very, very quickly. Um, and again, and actually, there's, nothing, sorry, there's nothing wrong with prettiness for prettiness sake, right? I'm currently watching Bridgerton. 
I am bet into it. I love the costumes. I love the hair. I love the styling. I love the setting. The story is absolute nonsense. It's total soap opera. It's gorgeous. And I love it. And it's pure escapism. And it's wonderful, right? I'm not watching that for you know, well, I would argue that there's as many sexy lamps, male sexy lamps as there are female in Bridgerton. Like they're all just there to be beautiful, impossibly beautiful. And I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. But it's when if you start start applying that again overall, how often do we have the male protagonist going through the journey or doing this or doing that or whatever versus how often is the woman there, the manic pixie dream girl, um, mm-hmm. just to be attractive and to be a sexy lamp? So there you go. There's the Quigley rule. I love it. I love it. Like, yeah. Um, it's also, it's, you know, every time dusk falls in the house, it's made me look twice at any light switch. I'm ever like, oh, am I using this now because I need the illumination or because I'm feeling a certain way? Do you know what I mean? Ah, ah, it's, any, anything that makes you think, I think is a good addition to a story. I cannot believe I just defended that. Um, my... So have Gentle. you heard? Have you heard then of the Mako Mari test? I actually hadn't. So you said this just before we came on the the pod. So um, yeah. please, what is what is the Mako Mari test? Okay, so basically, um, because as we've described, there are pros and cons to the Bechtel Wallace test, um, and we see how they're applied. Um, essentially, what happened in 2013, um, which was evidently the same year that Sweden made the Bechdel test Mm. kind of a rating system was that Pacific Rim was released and it failed the Bechdel test and there was a bit of kind of uproar over you know about how it can't be seen as a good film because of all of this and essentially what happened was there was a Tumblr user called Chyla I want to say C-H-A-I-L-A and she or they I'm not sure developed what they call the Mako Mari test because there's a character in the film by that name who so as i said the film doesn't pass the bechdel test but her character is completely influential to the story she has her own character her story arc um the plot wouldn't develop the way it does unless she was there incredibly strong female character that's really really important okay so basically the meko mari test it has your three um requirements similar to the bechdel test but it's that you have to have at least one female character but that character has to have their own story arc and her arc doesn't support the man's story arc, essentially. So it's about your importance to the plot on your own. Now, as I said, the Bechdel-Wallace test is, is very yes, no. This can be a bit more subjective because how can you always separate um, the, you know, how do you apply this idea of the male story arc, you know, and, and supporting that? Because again, if we go back to Lord of the Rings, if we've Eowyn, yes, her killing your man, you know, <laughs> your man, um, <laughs> you know, as she does, one of the lads, right? Yes, her killing him does support the overall narrative, does support the end goals of the rest of the men, but I would say, but it actually is her own story arc because she's the only one who could do it. It's about even her developing and growing throughout the series to get to a point where she feels strong enough to go onto the battlefield um, and, you know, has the beautiful I am no man moment. So I would argue that that does pass it, but then it can be more subjective. But I think it's subjective because, well, if you're watching a film, obviously they're all interlinked somehow. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, now, and the, uh, the other issue with this is that it can promote only needing one female character. So, you know, if you have your Fast and Furious 315 or whatever they're on now, you know, and you have, you may say, oh, well, it's grand. We've the, the ensemble cast of seven or eight or whatever, and only one of them's a woman, but it's grand because she's a strong woman and you're gone. So, it, you know, it, it's not perfect either, but it's another way of, it's a somewhat more feminist way of actually analyzing these things because we go, we're not just interested in whether or not you appear on screen. We're interested in you actually having your story because so many things pass the Bechdel test where there's like a five second interaction between two women who are actually kind of superfluous characters anyway. Mm. Okay. So at least in this case, it's about having your own narrative, having your own story arc. So, you know, 
again, the problem isn't individual films, it's systemic trends. Um, and these, I just think these are helpful ways to kind of start to examine or start to question these patterns and recognize these patterns, but they are not demarkers of feminism. There's, um, there's another, there's, there's a trend that follows, uh, it can hurt female characters um, in that. So you might have, you know, let's say, let's say you take a, 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 I know this is binary, but a man, woman leading team and- But it promotes binary. It they does. do promote binary, yeah. Um, it's the, what do we do now question. Yeah. It's when so often the female character will turn to the male character and go, what do we do now? You know, implying that the male must always make the decision. Um, now, this can be in an action movie. This can be in your standard sitcom romance. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, you know, it's not limited to one or the other. And it is frustrating because that simple question, and again, this is the point that's been made for that simple question takes agency from, mm -hmm. well, you would say generally any character who asks the question takes agency from them, but because so often, it is, and often the female lead will be the one to ask this. It sort of puts a hierarchy of importance in the story. Um, and now I can't not see it. Uh, I, I watched a, a compilation breakdown of this exact situation happening. I was just like, oh no, this, like, you know, this, this films I really enjoy in this list. <laughs> Which is why then there are some, like sometimes I come out of a film and like, only go to the cinema with me if you want a full deconstruction. If you want somebody to come out and say, wasn't that great or wasn't that awful, let's have a drink. Do not go with me. I'm not the right person for you, okay? If you want somebody to analyze scene by scene, frame by frame, I'm here with you. Again, listen to our series on The Purge. You you did not expect what you got from that I, I, I did not. I will even go one further. I went to the theater uh, with you, well, several times obviously during yeah. college, but then as a, you know, we, we went to a show uh, in Dublin, and I mean, obviously, the, the, yeah, yeah, anyway, my hand has just about got feeling back in it. Um, uh, the context of that being, sorry, there was, you know, it was a, a show that elicited feelings, and mm -hmm. there was I had strong, a strong reaction, strong, definitely a good description. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes. Uh, you know, I've got five fingers on my left hand. I've got the remains of several on my right hand. Um, but I but but, no. like it, that's but the, but the yeah. reason. The reason I say that is because so you have small moments that totally subvert this. So say, for example, in um, Star Wars Episode Seven, at the very beginning, yeah. when you've Ray. Um, and they're running at the very, very beginning and your man Finn grabs her hand and she like kind of drops it and runs herself. And that didn't need to be there, but that is a very quick moment at the beginning of a new part of the franchise making its own mark. And don't come for me with your, I don't like the new series. You're wrong, okay? You're just incorrect. Anyway, but that is a moment of making its mark and saying, we're aware, we're conscious, and we're doing something about it. Do you know, just that little moment where she drops the hand and runs herself. Yeah. Or in um, Black Panther, when they go to the casino and they have to do the big getaway at the end, the moment that we see your one take off the shoes to drive the car. And there was no need for that to be there. It's just this flash of an image where you see her take off the shoes and she's driving barefoot. And it was such a moment of, yeah, you're you see us you're aware that it's nonsense whenever we have women trying to drive motorbikes in chases or whatever in these impossible shoes and actually you've said you know what this is a bit more realistic there's nothing realistic about film it's a fucking superhero movie cool but we're taking a moment to say actually we see you women we see the message that we're sending here and actually we're going to have this moment so you know it's it's those kind of moments that i see that that are pointing at these things, that are changing these things, that are challenging these things. And that's what I like to see. Everything doesn't have to be a massive feminist, you know, statement. Um, I'll find the feminism in it. I mean, I think there's feminist aspects to the Joker because actually it's challenging toxic and fragile masculinity. So, so I would argue it's quite a feminist film. It, actually, yeah, because I think we, we discussed that before on our incel um, mm -hmm. episode. That is, that's a film I keep, that's one of the most disturbing films I've watched in recent years. Um, yeah. Uh, 
How do you feel then about films like, say, the Ghostbusters remake that received mm -hmm. horrendous criticism online what before a trailer had even dropped just mm -hmm. because they had, uh, gen well, new characters, but effectively gender swapped the characters mm -hmm. versus uh, Mad Max Fury Road? Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, I so full discussion, I have not seen the Ghostbusters remake, so it is it's Schrodinger's wonderful. film. It is both terrible and wonderful. So it's what? wonderful. Excellent. Okay, great. So it's how, do, how is and it handled there? It's wonderful because it's not. I would argue it's not pushing an agenda. I would argue it's a reboot. It's a changed around reboot. And it's, do you know what? It's about a group of diverse to an extent women just working together and being funny. Do you know what I mean? And Chris Hemsworth character in it is wonderful because it's so ironic and it's so satirical of the standard female roles in these and for me his character is incredibly feminist because that's showing how nonsensical it is the way we've written female characters in the past and that kind of thing but I just I just enjoyed it I thought it was funny um you know but people have this idea that women can't be funny women aren't comedians whatever and I'm like seriously Leslie Jones are you having a like you're having a laugh Kate McKinnon you know, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Uh, like, I half the reason I watched Game of Thrones was to watch um, her and Seth Meyers do their their oh, debrief. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just it's just glorious. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought it was funny. I thought it was clever. I thought the story worked. I don't think too deeply on it. What I find hilarious, and what I would think more deeply on it, is that. Why were you slagging it off before there was a trailer released? What, why are you so threatened? Actually, that's more telling that oh, yeah. you're that threatened by it, that you would react in that way. Do you know what I mean? Um, so there was actually less of that kind of a backlash when Ocean's 8 was released. Um, and again, Ocean's 8 is just a really fun film. I just really enjoyed it. It's, it's fun. It's a group of women working together. You never know who's going to backstab anybody. It, you know, um, they're just, uh, oh, Kate Blanchett in the power suits. Like, I just, icon, icons only, please and thank you. Um, I think that there was more of a backlash to the Ghostbusters thing, partly because it was, a, it was an obvious comedy and it was an obvious reversal, do you know? Yeah, and I think as well. So it, it has the, you know, it being part of a series of films um, and... You know, there's there's one thing to be said for, I mean, I remember the discourse when uh, here's my one per week Star Trek 2009 was coming out that you were making doing this reboot and oh, you can't possibly touch the original and oh, you're awful and everything. Same thing comes out when every new show comes out. And there was obviously there's a bit of that when you have mm -hmm. what is being touted as a reboot. And mm -hmm. then, I mean, I, I've, I've seen the first two films. I appreciate them. I didn't particularly think of them as lads movies and a lot of people a lot mm. of people who I know really enjoy the films don't look at them as lads movies and yes Bill Murray's character is horrendous when it comes to an example of to toxic masculinity mm -hmm. I don't think it's a pretty good joke but I think that's the joke um mm. uh I get I have not seen Afterlife so I don't know how that handles it um mm. but it didn't it didn't feel like this was a series that had to be rooted in this masculine uh, you know, male-dominated character. And impressed the uh, receptionist whose name fails. I'm very bad for names. Uh, she was. Mm. I thought she was bloody hilarious in the first two films. Yeah. You know, she's one of the highlights. Yeah. Um, mm. And then, but I mean, I, I was, I was actually. I think it, it was for a time the most disliked trailer on YouTube. It was, you know, personal attacks against the actors mm. in it. Um, obviously, then there was what happened to Leslie Jones afterwards as well, which is just, uh, it's just. What is the problem? Mm. Judge a judge a film so by its story. Exactly. Judge a film by its story. Yeah. The story's rubbish. So yeah, exactly. That's uh, the, but that's 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 my thing, you know. Um, and and I think that's a lot more telling than whatever the art is in and of itself. It's the reaction to it and it's the questioning, why are you threatened by that? Because to be honest, if you just don't like it, don't engage with it you know what I mean just don't watch it like there's plenty of films I've no interest in seeing so I just don't see them and oh, I continue sorry. with my life hold on you're you're telling me that the people of the internet can just yeah. not watch something that no one's standing behind them 
with a garrote mm-hmm. wire going, you need to keep your eyes open. I know. I know it's wild. Good it's probably Lord. the most radical thing I've ever said. Um, and I know it's difficult. And it's a but hard time. Sexy Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts uh, and prayers for you all. Yeah. But you know what? Just don't watch it. Uh, I mean, you lost me. You lost me. Sorry. And of course, I have to hop off this podcast now because I have to go and watch absolutely everything that's ever been made ever. Ever. Um, you finish YouTube. Uh, yes. Yes. I, in fact, I, do you know what? I'm on track. I'm on track to do it as well. Um, I mentioned there a moment ago, uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I yeah. actually, I he hated it. Okay. I was going to say, I thought it was a decent example of mm. um, strong female characters, particularly, obviously, um, Charlize Theron's character. Yeah, now, that's I, I, okay. I, don't, I don't think it wasn't. I just didn't enjoy it. Oh, to fair, be honest okay. with you, I just I just didn't like it. Now, I did have a problem with the scene um, of the nudie women out in the desert. I thought that was gratuitous for gratuitous sake, and I didn't think that was necessary or helpful. I hear you. Um, no. no, I thought she was a good character. I just I just didn't like the film. Fair. Again, absolutely I fair. It from, I can separate it from my feminism at times and just go, yeah, I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> we found that switch somewhere. Feminism of, oh, yeah. Grant, cool. Um, okay. Right, sometimes, sometimes something can be super feminist, and I don't like it. Um, now, I would argue that that is not as feminist as people think it is. Um, but yeah, it just just didn't enjoy it. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Um, well, there goes all my point. No, fair enough because um, I I might have taken it surface level. Uh, haven't watched yeah. it since the cinema. Loved it. So, I mean, it is a chase movie. Like there's there's mm. very, in fairness, listen to myself. There is very little plot. Um, mm. Oil. That's kind of your plot. Uh, oil yeah, and slavery. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember, uh, you've probably seen this, the interview, um, the, the panel interview they did. Um, it's after the film came out and this male reporter stands up and asks Tom Hardy, when you were reading the script, did you ever wonder to yourself, why are all these women in this men's movie? Mm. Of course, Tom Hardy goes, No. Why would I? And I was like, yeah, thankfully. Nice. Um, And that's, I think, why one of the reasons I enjoy the discussion around Mad Max so much is like, you know, kind of there was this toxic, you know, it's all about Mel Gibson, who is, of course, a wonderful uh, example of masculinity Mm -hmm. um, leading this franchise. And, you know, suddenly, no, it's not that. Um, Yeah, maybe I think that's one of the reasons I enjoy it. So it's like, ah, screw you, men. Yeah, no, I, I just didn't like it. But but you know what? It's it's also it's partly just not my kind of film. Like, mm. you know, I and I mean, I some again, some of my favorite films are totally male centered. Like I think Split, James McAvoy. Oh, what a man. Split for me yeah. is just. One of the best performances I've ever seen. He is incredible in that film. Yeah. You're right. You're absolutely yeah. like, yeah. Um, and also. No, that didn't give us Anya Taylor-Joy. Certainly a good one for her. I think The Witch introduced that. Sorry, I just really like Anya Taylor-Joy. Um, I I wanted to ask you, so you mentioned fridging women. I did. Now, so why why, why, why are we sticking women in the freezer or the fridge? Why are we sticking women in the fridge? Okie dokes. So the term fridging comes from the idea or the webpage actually that was created in 1999 called Women in Refrigerators. Um, feminist comic book fans set up this website. Um, the term was originally coined by writer Gail Simone, and it was in direct response um, or reaction to Green Lantern number 54, the comic, um, which was released in 1994 um, and written by Ron Mars. Um, and essentially, Kyle Rayner, who is Green Lantern, he finds his girlfriend. Oh, yeah, I've actually read this one. Yeah. Yeah, he finds his girlfriend, Alexandra DeWitt, killed by the villain Major Force, and she's stuffed into the fridge. So he comes home and that's where she is. Um, And basically, that in isolation, well, I mean, it's gross, but whatever. Mm. You know, that in isolation is not a problem. But essentially what happened was women comic book fans and creators came together to compile a list where women are killed, maimed, depowered, specifically in order to... Um, further the male arc 
Um, so we have a major problem where women are killed off or brutally assaulted um, or quite often horrendous sexual things happen to them in order to set the hero on his journey. Um, and it's not just in comics, you know, it happens in film, literature, whatever. Um, and it's a problem because it happens so often and it's such a common thing to do. And then people said, oh, well, men can be killed off and that kind of thing. But then we have, um, we have the content editor, John Bartle, actually kind of published this article called Dead Men Defrosting, where he talks about, particularly in comic books where people are killed off and brought back and, you know, all that kind of thing and characters appear over years. He talks about the fact that quite often when men are killed, um, it's not permanent. Um, it's not done in a sexual way. It's not done to further a female story arc. And when they come back, there's generally no lasting damage or lasting effects, which there can be for women. So I know if you look up the, the website, Women in Refrigerators, you get a list um, of, of female characters from comic books and what happened to them. So that's now the thing is, I'm not a comic book nerd so to be honest half the characters I was looking at I was like I don't know who this is so you know um so, so we have that um but it was really interesting because when it originally came out um uh, the the writer of the comic um of, of the Green Lantern comic came back saying that well it's because the most of the protagonists are male and the female characters are quite often superfluous. So actually we need this to happen. And you're going, yeah, that's the point. That's the problem is that you're doing this because again, there's no problem with killing somebody off in order to further someone's story. If it's not this systemic problem, again, we go back to the quantitative thing as opposed to qualitative, it's quantitative. So it's about how often we do this and how often we do it to women. Um, so like, you know, we still see it in, in, in superhero uh, movies, a huge amount, even, you know, most recently or recently enough, we would have seen Gamora in Infinity War killed off by Thanos. That's a good example of fridging, um, whereby had he not killed her, he wouldn't have been able to get the ma reality? reality? Uh, soul. Soul. There we go. Yeah. Let's go with that. Um, you know, and, um, and that now we also again it has kind of gone on and become more intersectional um as it's developed through time so we have examples of racial fridging so for example recently in the falcon and the winter soldier the tv series we have lamar hoskins um who's uh, john walker's best friend is killed off in order to further his story arc and again, you might say, oh, yeah, but it was about him losing his best friend. It was about this. And actually, in fairness, Falcon and the Winter Soldier does a really good job of dealing mm. with racial issues and racial tensions, um, saying that as a white person. But, I, you know, I, I feel that that it talks about these things a lot. But the point is not that he's killed off in order to further um, John Walker's story. It's about having black people play secondary characters continually and therefore they become the superfluous character who can be killed off in order to further further this you know that so so we have racial fridging as well um and yeah this is this has actually gone on and i was looking this up and i can't the production mustn't have gone ahead or it must have stopped or something because i can't find anything about it but essentially um in catherine um catherine envelante wrote a novel um in 2017 called the refrigerator monologues um and it was a novella about um six women who meet in purgatory and they're all fridged by their superhero boyfriends and basically they discover and they're all kind of loosely based on actual girlfriends um from from superhero comics and that and they basically all discover that that's how and why they died and they form this club called the hell hath club and it's led by a woman called Paige Embry, who is basically Gwen Stacy, um, oh, right. who's Spider-Man's girlfriend, because obviously she was very famously in the middle Spider-Man, the tallest one. What's his name? Uh, so Andrew the Garfield, the Amazing Spider-Man 2. 
Yeah. There we go. The one with the best hair, Andrew Garfield. Um, she was killed off in um I'm I'm not objective at all. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she was killed off um in order to further his story arc. Um so yeah, so anyway, so she wrote those monologues or the, the refrigerator monologues, and obviously the name was a reference to women in refrigerators and vagina monologues. Um, it was being developed in 2018 by Amazon. Um, for a series called Dead Town. Now, I can't find any evidence that it has actually come to fruition or not, so I don't know what happened there, but there was meant to be a TV series based on it. But basically, it's just trying to kind of show how systemic this problem is and how violently we kill off women. Now, I mean, you know, again, I have seen examples of it where actually it works for me, um, so, for example, if you look at John Wick, right, technically his wife is fridged at the very beginning. Mm. But I would argue that firstly, she's not killed in a horrendously violent way. It's a natural death as a result of illness. And secondly, it's actually not her death that causes him to do what he does. It's the death of the dog. And to be honest with you, Everybody gets what they deserve. Oh, absolutely. Everybody gets what they deserve in that film. It is absolutely stunning. It is wonderful. That is what you get for killing a beautiful, innocent puppy. So, you know, I, I, I jest, um, kind of. But that, <laughs> you know. But, for but for that, legal reasons, that is a jest. <laughs> um, but that is an example where, yes, we technically do have fridging, but I actually think it works because it's not her death which isn't violent it's not her death that spurs the narrative it's actually other people coming into his life after that because actually he wanted to be a better man and a peaceful mm. man and all of this because of her so you can do it in ways like that but but yeah in general we have we, we see it in deadpool as well we fridging like we see it all over the place all the time it's not just in comic books it's not just superheroes um and it's just not good enough really um so yeah that's that that's where we would have the term fridging um it's it's it, like one of the interesting things about our discussion today of the Bechdel test is how quickly just discussing the Bechdel-Wallace test becomes a lament about the state of representation in film in general. Um, now, obviously, we could do a nine-hour episode on that. Um, so grab a coffee, because here we go. Uh, right, so our... <laughs> so no just just for this week i know this might seem but just for this week i think we're going to call time there but i think this is we kind of have to at some point revisit this idea mm. as well because mm. there really is a series in this um but uh yes just uh yeah thank you so much as always for bringing your a game to my z game um and <laughs> you are <laughs> <laughs> I love that our discussion pod yourself. became I'm a moderator and I love it. I'm, I'm so here. I'm a moderator and a student. Great. Um, where can people reach out to you to find you online? Me fave is the owl Instagram at Carol Quigley. There's an E at the end. Carol, please send me nice dog content. I enjoy chatting with you that way. And, and if you, you send her bad dog content, bad you're getting John Wicked. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's reasonable. Yeah. And you, where and are you on the Twitter sphere? You will find me on all of the socials at Sean Ferrick. Nice and handy. Um, everyone is awesome. Everyone have a wonderful week. We will see you again next week. And thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.